Welcome to Shift, a new travel local podcast series. On Shift, we explore the trends shaping travel, but more than that, we hope to provide our listeners with actions to help their business. Shift provides a balance of thought-provoking ideas, what really works on the ground, and how tourism businesses and other travel destinations can shift things into gear. Time to ride. Human connection. It's one of the things that COVID stopped and suddenly something that we took for granted was gone. And the ultimate irony is leading up to that, we were never more disconnected. Social media, constantly looking down on our phones. You know, you go on your daily commute and who's actually looking up at each other these days. Human beings are inherently social creatures. And there's lots of stats out there that show that human connection actually makes us healthier as human beings. It's, it's not just something that's nice to have, it's a must-have. It improves the quality of your life. And in business, of course, that human connection drives innovation. It's how we make the relationships and the bonds uh, that determine who we do business with and who we don't do business with. Uh, fundamental to human connection in the business arena is the handshake. And I'm not talking about fist bump or elbow bump that where we've been forced to with COVID. I, I mean, I cannot wait to be able to shake people's hands again. And it's funny, you look back on the history of the handshake, and it was actually developed in the 5th century in Greece, where it was a way of opening up your hand to show that you weren't a threat. In the medieval period, the handshake was a way that you could shake somebody around and make sure that a sword or a knife wasn't going to fall out of their pocket. And of course, Trump used the handshake as a weapon of mass destruction to throw a poor, innocent, seven-year-old Japanese prime minister off balance. Human connection and the handshake, uh, there's just no replacing it. And that's why today's episode is called, I Want to Hold Your Hand. We've got Cassandra Zarabetsky knows the importance of holding hands, knows the importance of human connection. She is a professional in global meetings, an important part of the tourism industry. And we're going to have her on the show uh, when we come back. Cassandra, how are you? I'm doing well. Good to see you. Good to hear you. Where are you in this world right now? I am in Squamish, British Columbia. I have happily lived in Squamish for 15 years and spent the, the five before in Pemberton and Whistler. So 20 years in the Sea to Sky Corridor. Well, this show is about travel. Uh, let's just jump right into it. You know, you are a CMP and I feel like we're playing acronym bingo, but you're going to have to run me through that. What is a CMP? It is a certified meeting professional. And it's a bit funny because it's more on the planner side. So, you know, I do work on the sales side of the industry, but I feel like to be a good salesperson, you should obviously understand what you're selling. So it's this course that you go through that's like several hours, but it's, uh, you know, it's basically to understand everything about meeting specs, to understand like how many people you put in a room, why you do it that way. And then to be able to talk to planners so that when you're selling them this idea of where to meet, you actually understand how it can come together and like come to life. Tell us a little bit about the meetings industry and its power as a sector of tourism. Yeah, it's been a really interesting one. I've been in the meetings industry for 20 years now, which it's kind of this niche sector. But what's interesting is it does have like, you know, four times the return of a leisure visitor. So it's often like overlooked and underlooked. But then at the same time, it's such a lucrative and powerful 
position. I feel like, you know, there's always this argument of what comes first, like a meetings visitor or a leisure visitor, because often those meetings visits lead to long term, like leisure visitors to your destination. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a, a side that like can be everything from your like social events to national world meetings, um, to small corporate events, and then incentive travel, which is that like rewarding your employees for sales. So it kind of runs a pretty big spectrum of, of group business. For me, it's always been really rewarding because the stuff I love is the change the world meetings. And I feel like that's really much more what we're getting into these days, like people with budgets and with spend, it's really like they want to make sure they're getting a good return and they're doing it for the right reasons. So that's the stuff that's kept me in that side of the industry for so long. I mean, I know we're having to make do with video meetings, but you know, we went to meetings and conferences with certain objectives. We had certain expectations. How has COVID turned that all around? And when it comes to meetings and events and conferences, like what are we going to see as one of the bigger impacts out of COVID? Well, I think much like in marketing, you know, where content was king, like connection is now like the currency of the day. So that's the whole reason why people want to meet. Like we're spending so much of our life on a screen and not being with people that this idea of being in a room and being able to collaborate and just make that much more of an impact is what's driving people. And like in the US, you're seeing just the stats from last month, uh, 40% increase in meetings. Like they're almost back to 2019 levels in the US now with their meetings and groups. Like there are smaller groups, but they're still like... For a lot of those states, it can be a couple thousand people versus 20,000, but they are gathering and it's pretty cool to see. Like I see my colleagues in the U.S. doing some interesting things and in a safe manner. So I, I do hope that we'll get back there quickly here as well, because, yeah, being able to make those connections, that's really the reality of meetings. COVID has changed the way that the world meets, wants to meet, just like you said, that we're going to get back to these personal connections. So how is that change the mindset of meeting planners when they're going out there and trying to decide where they're going to host their next meeting or conference? I think as much as the connection is the key thing, it's also where they're meeting. That being able to meet in a destination that gives them outdoor space, that that is a part of the framework for the meeting, that's that backdrop. I think they're realizing that where you actually go is more and more meaningful. What can mid-tier destinations look forward to and, and you know how can they take advantage of this desire to see people go to more authentic places. I think they have a huge advantage. And that's to say, I mean, we have gorgeous cities in Canada and Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal and Calgary, but there's this drive to go to those places that aren't as discovered and to feel like they're, they're going to get a higher value. And I not say that only in rate, but also sort of that whole service like culture. That's something that's really apparent. I mean, I've been very lucky in my time with Destination Canada that I met in, you know, Niagara, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Quebec City, Winnipeg, you know, Edmonton. I got to see a lot of our really cool destinations and there's just, they almost work harder. It feels like it's just so natural. Everyone's so thrilled to have the attendees in those destinations. And you are even seeing that synergy in the U.S. They're saying places like Pittsburgh where people didn't normally want to go. But I actually have been to a meeting in Pittsburgh and it blew me away. It was phenomenal. That's where those cities are really thriving and people are looking beyond the like typical destinations. But over the years, like there's been some really cool programs I've worked on in Whistler in particular, like whether it's like tech giants like Mozilla, where, you know, they just wanted somewhere where they wanted their audience 
audience that's a bit more introverted in general to feel like they kind of own the place. So that's another advantage when you look at some of these smaller and mid-tier places is that, you know, you're kind of not lost in like a sea of people. You know, you get to see your fellow attendees and see them out at a pub or, you know, on a patio or on a walk around the lake. So that's been something that I think people are really like, as they want to make that connection, they want to look to places that that happens just a bit more naturally and organically as well. If I'm a mid-tier destination and I've got a great meeting space and I'm trying to position myself with these meeting planners, what should I hammer home as the big selling points that are to get that meeting planner uh, to bring their meeting to my neighborhood? I think it's the mix of the facility and then all the other value adds because this idea of combining leisure with business travel is still so prominent. Over 80% of people's decisions on going to a meeting is based on where it's located. So if there is that sort of like the level of what else you can do outside of the meeting room and that being woven into the content as an actual planner of themselves, and it doesn't mean you have to have all these crazy experiences, but just anything like from your culinary to your arts and culture, um, you know, music, people are missing all of those things so much in their lives. So an opportunity to take in, you know, whether it's a symphony or a jazz club to an outdoor concert to a market, that's all really cool. That's the stuff that people are wanting to do. They're wanting to see how people live in other places. So it doesn't have to be like, zip track and you know all these like really crazy high adrenaline things it can be anything that sort of adds to that like overall experience for someone when they travel to a place in terms of meeting planners and, and conference attendees what's the profile of these customers that we need to be aware of uh, well, it's really interesting how meeting decisions happen. It can be, you know, everything from a board decision, often in the association side, to, you know, maybe like an executive spouse, uh, he or she, like looking at a cool place in a brochure and saying, like, I think we should go there. And they turn it into part of their personal holiday. Yeah. So then like the traditional planners. And as like with COVID, I think the traditional planner, the demographic is changing a bit. We saw it to be like, you know, women, middle-aged to older women that are just so capable and can like plan and organize so many things to now as well, we're getting this whole millennial group of planners. And I think there's this huge potential from both like an attendee perspective and a planner perspective to engage that audience. Um, it's something that I always was trying to push Canada towards was to kind of how do we sort of get to be the go to like the cool kid for these people looking for a new experience, because, you know, maybe they've already been to the beach and the sun and fun, and they've already met in a lot of the big US cities. So I think the meeting industry is going to be shaped by this millennial audience, because they have so much buying power. They're the ones that are now planning the meetings, and they're really swaying the decision of where it's going to actualize. If you've got more millennial attendees, if you've got more millennials in positions of power making decisions, does that change how we have to approach these meeting planners and supply them with great experiences and, and kind of position our meeting and events as a destination? The millennials are 60% more likely to travel than even Gen X, which is where, where I fall. But I know I'm super ready to get on a plane. So if I'm ready to travel, then you've got this whole other huge audience of people. And that is making up a large amount of the attendee mix. Like that's the thing is a lot of companies, they understand that meetings do cost money to produce, but the value to their bottom line, the outcomes and the you know ideas that come out of them are invaluable. And that's like what takes them into the next few years. Sure, COVID has shifted the market, but you know there are still trends that are going to dominate. There are trends that are going to recover. Uh, matter of fact, with so much pent-up demand, we're going to see a lot of trends accelerate to make up for lost time. What, what do you think are some, going to be some of the big 
industries that, you know, any destination out there running a conference center or looking to host meetings, you know, what are some of the different industries they should be looking at and not forgetting about? Well, in the really short term, it is SMURF. And SMURF is like, because again, it's all acronyms in our world. It's right. the social, military, educational, religious, and fraternal. They, um, that right now, this like friends and visit and family travel, but also for groups, like doing more family reunions, looking at getting back to weddings. Like it's a good short term layer, like as borders open and as meetings come back, like to be able to ramp up to like, because sometimes you need a bit more runway for those corporate groups and association groups. So this is like a perfect, opportunity because you know as you build rate and as you build back demand slot those groups in like you know they're going to have that word of mouth and then they're going to you know everybody works somewhere everyone's connected in some kind of like society or association so I always feel like all business is good business and then you can kind of look at that business and try to like get the highest rated business but you know being able to kind of always be open to any opportunity um, that the Smurf is the short term and then you're looking at corporate direct we are starting to see even in in Canada and BC in particular here a lot of our corporate groups from the lower mainland from Vancouver looking at meeting again meeting in small groups this summer and then building back up again so that's really exciting. And just in the last couple of weeks, tons of demand now that we've kind of got our phase rollout, like yeah. having the roadmap is really helping bring back the demand and the looking to, to plan these meetings. And we're seeing stuff across too, like domestic Canada, corporate Toronto groups that maybe thought, you know, that they wanted to always go somewhere that seemed a bit more flashy and like get out of Canada. They're thinking of other domestic places, like for the short term, how do we spend our money domestically to boost the Canadian economy? There are cool experiences to be had all across this country, you know, and they're also looking to invest and and have those experiences here at home. So if all of these markets are in a a state of play and a state of flux, you know, if I'm a destination and I've invested a lot of money in in relationships, because you've said it yourself, it's the lifeblood of your industry, right? How do I protect the relationships that I've built? How do I protect that business so that, you know, all these new entrants into the market don't kind of take it away from me. Well, I think that's where the relationships have mattered. The destinations that have kept people working and have kept those connections, they will, you know, go further faster because there's been a lot of places, unfortunately, they had to make hard decisions. They've lost a lot of the workforces, even a lot of our hotel partners, and they're struggling to get people back because there are people that have left the industry that have gone to maybe like, you know, SAS and other places that were more, that were better throughout the whole pandemic than our hospitality side. I think it's really key if you haven't got the people in place now to really get some seasoned people. And, you know, I I like to have a mix. Like, you know, I've been in the position hiring and being a director many times over the years. And I always feel that having like the seasoned mentors that like know the industry and sort of know some cool ways to connect with people and have that like great database, as well as kind of like a couple of really keen like want to be sales managers who are going to work hard and, you know, kind of have give you some fresh ideas. So I think having like a mix of that in your team is really important to go after targeting clients these days. Um, Because you can't just do everything old school, like we still need an element of that. But you definitely want those people that have that new that new look. Um, And I think having a blend of that is your most ideal. We're always so enamored of new technologies, this new bell and whistle that it's kind of nice to be talking about an industry that thrives based on those personal connections and, you know, how those people in market, if you keep them there and you keep them loyal, act as brand ambassadors, they're going to protect your market share when you need that protection the most. 
Yeah. And it really does matter. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the planner's office and I've said like, you know, what's it going to take? And they said, you're here, you're here in front of me. Like, I I know you, You, we've got that trust. And like, trust is a big deal in this world because they feel like if, if the salespeople are committed, that really resonates with how the destination is going to take care of the business once they're, you know, in that place doing the meeting. So it really, you know, really does mean a lot to, you know, to be there for people, but not be in their face. Like, again, I think I said it before, but no, Nobody wants to feel sold to, but they do want to feel like they have this like commitment and connection with you. It's funny during a downturn in the economy, normally what they say is that that, that's the perfect time to invest in marketing. It's the perfect time to invest in new approaches that are going to win you share at the expense of your competitor. But quite often people do the opposite. They're like, oh, it's a downturn. We don't want to spend the money. We got to be cautious. Uh, It's all, it's almost like, you know, when things are good, the marketers get to be the pilot of the plane. When things are bad, all of a sudden you hand all control off to your CFO uh, and your accounting team. But by handing off that control, by taking your foot off the gas, you're actually, I think, eroding all of your brand equity. You're eroding all of those relationships and all that ground you've gained uh, over the years. It sounds like you're, you know, you'd be advising destinations across North America that now is kind of the time to get moving. Don't sit back and wait for the latest travel restriction to change. Make some solid plans right now along the lines that you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that that's been a bit of our detriment in Canada as a lot of destinations. We, we have the ambiguity right now of the border, but I think that's going to change really quickly. And people, you know, have cut their sales team significantly. And I think it's the time to get a jump on it. Like right now with them, you know, the US is going gangbusters and people are booking, you know, Hawaii and San Diego and all these places. There's no reason why they won't also book Canada. We like they're not meeting tomorrow. They're meeting in 2022. And so it's it's the time to get out there and speaking to those people because you need, you need a bit of space. Like meetings don't happen overnight, but they can happen quickly. Like the booking window has shortened over the last several years and planners are very nimble and they're, you know, the industry has evolved and pivoted and, and they're really good at that, but we still need a few months to plan a meeting. And it's so, you know, what is it? 16 to 24 months out. Is that, that, is that kind of like the, the planning time horizon these days? I've got like some really large groups that I'm working on as early as late Q1 of 22. So I, you know, I think the, you know, you you can go like up to five years out for an association meeting, but you can be like six months out for some other programming and look at some pretty significant events that you're putting together with some cool, you know, offsites and great meetings um, with good hotel partners. You know, we can do anything like that's the thing is, is the industry can come back in the next couple months with smaller meetings and then ramp up. But I do think once we see, you know, like the September sort of rollout for being able to go back to concerts and being able to have gatherings, you know, that's, that's no problem. We can, you know, we host a meeting of 2000 people this fall. Tell me a little bit about how winning destinations structure themselves in order to be get that speed to market and really bring the full power uh, of their community to the table when they're selling. Well, and I do think understanding sometimes that it's not going to happen overnight in all markets. You do need to look at a bit of a mixed approach where some of the stuff that's more corporate direct and small meetings, you can get really quickly. But if you're looking at some of those more international markets, that might take like a year or two to build that brand awareness. You're going to, but as long as you're lead generating, like, prospecting and lead generating leads to conversion. So if you're out there and active, and even though you're feeling like, oh, we're kind of just 
building our brand and you know, connecting with clients, being on the road a bit, that all leads to like wins down the road. And I think like having maybe a board and having like stakeholders that understand that doing this work will give you a good mix of short-term wins and long-term wins. And you need that to be a sustainable destination. And that group business is always going to be a fantastic base layer to everything else you want to do. So kind of what I've often seen too, is that marketing spend for meeting specific is usually very, you know, low. And then the rest of it's all the majority is spent on leisure. But I always think that there should be a bit more spent on that meeting's traveler. And it doesn't have to be like as traditional as like print media or any of that. But I think like, you know, having a presence on LinkedIn, being able to have a person to connect with clients and, you know, make those phone calls every week, all that stuff is going to lead to like business down the road. It it all is. You're not always going to see it the next day, but you will see it in the coming years. In your opinion, like can leisure and meetings, can they coexist in the same campaign? Like can leisure help drive your goals? Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many times, like say I was in San Francisco on a business trip and there's like, you know, a Canadian billboard on a bus stop. And then I went into an executive office and I could be like, oh, I was just out front in the street and I saw that. And it like, you make those connections for people. If they're seeing it, sometimes it's subliminal, but it's there. And I was going to say it should be like pipe and drape. That'd be a meetings term versus a thick veil. So peek behind the pipe and drape, open it up a little bit between meetings and leisure. How should conference centers hotels and DMOs be working? Like, how do you divide up the roles and responsibilities so that it's this elegant ballet instead of everybody tripping over each other? Well, I think there's always a controversy on that. In a lot of destinations, the destination is representing that convention center as well. And it's not a competitor. I mean, sometimes things are going to fit under one roof in your larger meeting hotels. And sometimes I think especially now in COVID, people are looking for a bit more space. So it's really a big asset to have any kind of like central meeting space, have the hotel, but then have like that convention center, that conference center that can kind of host larger groups. Like I think for a while, people want a bit more room to spread out. That's a reality post COVID. So it's really key that you have a neutral selling team that like, you know, at the end of the day, somebody wants a ho- you know, all under one roof in a hotel. That's great. But they also can say, we have this amazing asset. If you need that, it's there and being able to speak to it because sometimes the process, like simplifying the process for a planner where they don't have to go through all these levels, they don't have time. Like they're, you know, probably also having admin duties and their teams might've been, you know, made smaller by, by the pandemic. So they want everything as easy as possible. So it's really important for the destination partners to give them like map it out, make it look simple and actually make it simple for them to book and to meet. And they're going to be like, Oh, okay, this is a slam dunk because I'm not having to like stress about all these details. It's laid out for me. I get it. And I can easily present that to anybody else. It's a decision maker. So I think, you know, having some sort of synergies in your sales having really strong partnerships, like people are so, you know, used to be, they were like holding their cards close and didn't want to share. But, you know, I love when hotel partners will say, Hey, I'm working on this, you know, there's stuff in confidence and there's stuff that what can I do to help you bring that over the line? There are trends, you know, aside from COVID being COVID seems to be responsible for everything. There's still market trends out there that are influencing demand. And what should we be sifting through uh, on the internet and paying special attention to? 
Well, I think this whole sustainable tourism, you know, it's been, it shouldn't be a buzzword. It should be a reality of our lives. And whether that's woven into marketing, because sustainable storytelling resonates with travelers, it creates that connection that therefore translates into the meeting experience. So that trend is, it's here to stay. Um, It also has like this, it aligns with like food and beverage and local culinary. Like there's so many ways that that connects with the attendee. There's also like that idea of doing some like social givebacks during your programming. And like, it doesn't have to be super complicated. You're not trying to save the world, but trying to make some difference and leaving the place better than when you got to it. I think that really resonates in a group setting, especially because overall it's about how did we make a big impact? And you can do that in in the place you're at as well. Um, And then some of the stuff like the event technology side, this hybrid idea is not going to go away. There's going to be a virtual component now, But I think what's cool about that is that actually just is more accessibility. You know, you kind of think about going to like a basketball game, you know, it's televised, like you've got the whole crowd there. That's what's part of the experience. But then you're able to broadcast that to a larger audience that can maybe, you know, maybe they have limitations to travel or maybe it's, you know, a financial barrier. So there's this idea that like some of this enhancement to virtual technology, it's not to replace it all the face to face, but it's to enhance it and to grow the audience and to grow the people that can partake in it. I'm always impressed with how many people you know, even after all of these years, still, you can hear the energy in your voice, which is really nice. Doesn't seem like COVID has stopped you at all. If anything, it's probably strengthened your resolve. And, and I know that a lot of people are thankful for all of the volunteer work that you've been doing to make sure that Canada does get back on track uh, as a meeting destination. So I think we owe you some pretty big thanks. Well, you're doing a lot of work for Meet Local right now. You know, tell us a little bit about the type of work that Meet Local is is allowing you to do. I think what I love about the work with Meet Local is it's being able to like provide some strategy framework to emerging destinations. And that's what I loved so much in my few years I spent with Destination Canada. I love helping the big guys too. Like they're always open to some new ideas, but being able to kind of get a bit more granular with some of the places that are like, this is not something we've had a a time, you know, opportunity to think about. And how do we start getting into these different markets? How do we start making an impact? How do we engage our stakeholders and, you know, create some positive business opportunities for them. So being able to use that and, you know, help support some other destinations in their growth has been really rewarding. That's all the time we have for today. I can't believe time just whizzed by, but I always love talking to you. Thank you so much for being at the helm, keeping uh, Canada on point for meetings, conferences and events. I wish you luck and I hope that uh, we get to talk again real soon. Thanks again, Will. Thanks. So nice to hear you. If you want to learn more about Cassandra's work with Meet Local or you're looking to improve how your community or business hosts meetings and events, we've got what you're looking for on our website at travellocalmarketing.ca. And remember, give this episode a like, share it with your friends and colleagues, and give us a follow on LinkedIn or Facebook. We'd sure appreciate it. Have a great week, everybody, and handshakes all around. No more elbow bumps or fist bumps. Catch you later.